everyone's chasing light. And to recognize that, that light is so powerful that darkness looks for light. So when you are light, and this took me a long time to get, then understand that darkness is attracted to you because light attracts light and light attracts dark. So it took me years to understand that I attract the light in people and I attract the darkness of people and my darkness is sitting there. And, and I have to keep shining a light on my darkness so that I can minimize it into the nothingness that it always was. So it, took, it takes time to understand that and to become whole and complete in all my choices, to love me for all my choices, to not live in a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Things would be different if I didn't. I made decisions based on who I was and what I knew in that moment. So to find peace with my decisions, that took time. Because when you can find peace with your past choices and your past actions, then you find present and future peace in your life. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hey, buddies, welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie, and welcome to this week's episode. And man, this is a good one. I sat down to speak with Lisa Nichols, and her and I, man, like we are just sisters from another mister. Every time I get to chat with her, I lose track of time. And if you notice the timestamp on the podcast length, uh, you will see that that is the case uh, in this particular instance as as well. And before we get into some of the juicy bits that we talked about, I wanted to shout out a uh, recent review that came in from Alexander Malcorn from the United States. Um, the review says, Dr. Stephanie is intelligent, funny, and beautiful. So refreshing. She speaks to many topics that I'm interested in and are relevant. I can trust that the information she shares is researched, accurate, and true. I feel like she's become a Betty. Thank you for all you do, Dr. Stephanie. You are loved and appreciated. And I really love, I love reviews like this because it really tells me that the value and the time and the effort that I'm putting in is actually meaningful to you or to someone out there. So thank you for taking the time to write that. And I would invite you, um, Betty, my listener, to write a review or leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Google wherever it is, um, please rate and review the podcast. It helps more Bettys just like you find us. And speaking of finding us, if you want to connect with us over in the community, you can go to our free Facebook group. It is called the Better Community on Facebook and Better has an exclamation point at the end of it. And that's where we take our questions. We farm our questions for our Ask Me Anything episodes and we have our AMA coming up. Next one coming up with, with Major and I. So would love to see you in there as well. 
All right. So Lisa Nichols. So we had her on, if you remember, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, she was episode number three. So she was literally, and actually, even though she was episode number three, she was the first interview I ever did for the podcast. And I was at a, um, I was at a mastermind. I was in San Diego, and I literally hold myself up in a hotel and did this interview. I was so nervous. So she has a very special place in my heart for this podcast in particular. And I wanted to have her back on because whenever she speaks, it's always in service to people. It's always in service to her audience. It's always in service to the people that are looking for guidance. But I really wanted to unpack a lot of her own personal philosophy, some of the things that are going on in her life and projects that she's working on. So we talked about her recent engagement and you are just going to absolutely love this because she was very conscious of redefining what in, was best for her in terms of marriage and how you know so many times in society we're told like okay like you're 25 or you're 28 or you're 32 like you need to be married you need to be having children and for some people like myself that was the right option for me i got married when i was 28 had my babies when i was 32 and 34 um, but for other people that's not that's not their story that's not their path and so she talks a lot about that. And then we started talking about beauty. So I've talked a little bit about this uh, in the past. Um, and she put, she put it so beautifully where it was hard for her to accept the way that she looked, you know, because of her skin color, because of her very full lips, because her big, you know, curly hair. And I... I too had a similar, you know, I it, not necessarily my skin color, but my full lips, my full eyebrows, my curvy hips, my big butt, you know, like these were, even though right now they are more of the ideals in terms of beauty. When I was growing up, I grew up where these were not the ideals at all. It was like the waif female archetype, like no hips, thigh gap, you know, and like that's never going to happen for me no matter you know, no matter how, you know, I, how many diets I go on and how many hours I clock in on the cardio machine. So we talked a little bit about that and how she really just stopped asking the world for permission and gave it to herself to love herself. So we talked about that. You're going to absolutely love that conversation. And then we got into the masculine and feminine. So we talked about masculine energy, feminine energy, and then we moved into what I would like to have more conversations around, which was a project that she's working on, which is her movie. And in that movie, as you'll hear, she has a black male and a white male sitting across the table from each other and she is you know holding space for and being almost the moderator and we talked a lot about uh racial uh injustice and what she has in the pipeline in terms of working on that so we went for about two hours um i stopped because i realized where she was her time uh you know her husband had already made dinner for her and everyone was waiting so i cut it i cut the conversation but could literally talk to her for days so without further ado please enjoy my conversation with lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols, I am thrilled to welcome you back on the podcast for round two. Round two. I so love being with you. So we can do round three, round nine. Like this is just <laughs> exciting. And I feel like every time we get together, we get to go a little deeper. We need to dig a little further, touch a little broader. So 
I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It's just like the onion, right? We're going to cry yeah. a little. We're going to take yeah, a Yeah, exactly. Like that. We're going to cry a little more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. So the, la- the last time you were on, and I have to say, um, you were, I don't know if I told this to you, but you were the first person I ever interviewed. I didn't know that. Podcast. The first one. I did it in my hotel room. I was at JJ Virgin's uh, Mindshare Summit in California. Uh, yeah. I left the conference. I was like, okay, it's Lisa Nickel time. And like, we came on, we did our thing. And it was, of course, it, it's it's you. So it was like, it's, it's like the top podcast. It's the top episode of my, you know, entire collection of podcasts. And we talked about some amazing, we talked about forgiveness, we talked about reframing negative circumstances. You shared about your story with Jelani and growing up, uh, you know, and, and being on food stamps to turning that around. And I wanted you back on the podcast, A, because, you know, you're like my sister. I love, I love all the we're time I get to, yeah. <laughs> And I just saw you two days ago. So I'm like, yes, I can do it. Um, and, but I wanted to maybe start, like you were saying, like to dive a little deeper Um, and to talk about some of the projects that you're working on right now. And there were a couple things. I just interviewed you for Giovanni's Dreamer Festival, but I wanted to... There was a few things I didn't have time to kind of get into. And I was like, okay, we're going to do it on the podcast. By the way, I love your family. Like, I just... He's just... He's amazing. He's an amazing human being. But you know that. Yes, he is. He's really great. He's very tired. He had a long three days. So he's recovering right now. If you're going to be exhausted, be exhausted for good reason. Be exhausted putting helium in dreamers balloons. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love that. So just for just for context, so Betty's and we, we call our Betty, we call our listeners of the Better Podcast our Betty's. So Betty's, if you have not heard my conversation with Lisa, you need to go back and listen to it because it will not, it's going to blow your mind, but it's, there's so many truth bombs and mechanisms for you to change your life. But for the Betty who hasn't heard it, who's going to hear it right after she listens to this, just some context for the work that you do in the world and and how you came into it. Um, So I am a transformational coach. I stumbled into it because I needed transformation. My life was broken. (laughs) And uh, I am the wounded healer. Um, I am the little engine that could. I'm the one that um, growing up in South Central Los Angeles, um, my highest grade was a C plus in school. And while most kids wonder what they would be when they grew up, I was just hoping that I would grow up. I was hoping that I'd live till I was 21. Um, my high school teacher said when he stepped into Barnes and Nobles and he picked up the chicken soup for the soul book and looked on the back of it and saw my face, he began to cry. He said, oh my God, she made it out. His tears uh, in Barnes and Nobles um, over my making it out and making something of myself, it was indicative of my journey. It it was a journey of choosing to climb over obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, whether the obstacle was external or internal. Um, And I had many of both. And uh, so I am, I'm that, that kid that wasn't the fastest or the smartest or the prettiest but I was the most determined. I was the one that had something to prove. Um, I was expected to just survive. So Mm -hmm. I had something to prove. And for a long time, I needed to prove something to other people. Didn't really know who those other people were, whether it was my English teacher who said, Lisa, you're the weakest writer I ever met in my entire life before she failed me, 
or whether it was my speech teacher who said, Miss Nichols, I recommend you get a desk job and never speak in public. I don't know who I began to prove things to, but at some point, Dr. Stephanie, I stopped wanting to prove it to them and started wanting to prove it to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, the, I'm the woman who fell in love, um, who had a child and who looked up a year later and my son's father was in prison and um, fearful, deathly afraid of prison myself because it was all around me. It was such a norm in my neighborhood that I wanted to be absolutely allergic to it. And I had to make a hard decision that I would not raise my son seeing his father at all because I would not take my son to a prison because I didn't want another black male child getting used to a prison as a visitor or as a resident. And so I had all these reasons in me. I was just hungry for something different without knowing what it looked like or what it tastes like, but I knew it existed. And that's what landed me here. You know, 25 years later, I run a multi-million dollar global transformational company. I'm the author of seven best-selling books. Um, I'm grateful to say I've spoken on every continent that can be populated by man. I've blown my mind a hundred times at least. The dreams I dreamt of, I've surpassed 10 years ago. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I live in a constant state of gratitude, a constant state of awe and wonder, not of what I can do, but what determination will do, mm. what resiliency could do, what community will help you do, what happens when you borrow someone else's vision for you when your vision gets blurred. Like, I'm just blown away, Dr. Stephanie. I'm blown away at the human spirit, how unbreakable it is. Because mine should have broke a hundred times. Mine should have set down a thousand times. But the human spirit is unbreakable, unshakable, and unstoppable. I am a living testament in my imperfection. I could not have asked for a more perfect experience. And so that's a little bit about me. Wow. That, that, what an intro. <laughs> I love that. And I mentioned, I'm, first I have to say seven books. I have just, I have just finished birthing my first book baby and it's not, it's coming out in February, but oh my God, seven, I bow down. To, oh, thank you. But seven books. Is it like, is a birthing process. It is. Yeah. I mean, and, and some people think if you're writing a compilation book or an anthology, it takes less time. It doesn't. Like you'll, you'll do many versions. Doc, this is your first, but not your last. You know, you have so much. I sat next to you at dinner. Like you just drip and drop diamonds. And I, I was sitting there going, if that ain't in the book, it needs to be in the next book. <laughs> I was that. already writing book two. You remember? I was already yeah. writing book two. Like, honey, if that's yeah. not book one, you need to put that in book two. I remember that. Yeah. So in, in that process, I'm not a writer. So mm-hmm. I will tell you all day long, I'm not a writer. I'm an author. So I don't live to write. Writing is a very difficult process for me because I'm functionally dyslexic. And I used to be embarrassed about that, but I'm quite comfortable with who I am today. I own all of Lisa. So writing is a laborious process for me. But what's required of me is that the contribution that I'm supposed to give to the world gets given. And that's why I have so many books, because as I live more, as I learn more, then I'm supposed to turn around and serve more. So, um, yeah. So amen to birthing. And it is a birthing process uh, to number one. We won't talk about your number two or number three yet because you're still in labor and it's kind of rude to talk about it so early. The head, I'm just crowning. I'm just crowning. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Just to hold that thought for for later. I cannot wait to hold the baby. Read the baby. Oh, you will be one of the first people with a copy. Absolutely. 
So one of the, okay. So one of the things I love about you, Lisa, and even just as you're describing, you know, what you do, you are always in service to people. You are always using your story as a vector for good or as a vector for teaching or as a medium for people to say, okay, like if Lisa can do what she did this, like I can figure out how to do it in my own life. And I wanted to really have a conversation with you, just like, you know, the, the two girlfriends that we are and, and, and get to know there's, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from this, but I mentioned, I was interviewing you a couple of days ago for Giovanni's event, and I couldn't get into the topics like as deep as I wanted to. And I wanted to start off with love. Um, you mentioned, you just said before, um, you know, it wasn't until I learned to love all of me and you are recently engaged and you are 54 54 54. Mm -hmm. and And i'm I'm engaged for the first time like i'm I'm being married for the first time yes and what i love so much about this i was saying this to you in the pre-chat i love this so much because i think that there's so many women that are listening that are like okay this is the timeline i have to i have to be dating someone at 25 and then maybe we're engaged at 28 and then by 32 i have my first kid and there's this there's this timeline or they think at 40 is too late. Right, exactly. Or, for, you know, I'm past my, I, I'm never going to. Right, right. And I, I love how you've redefined this for yourself. So can you, and, and I guess the question, and your, your whole life is sort of like prove them wrong, right? So can, can you maybe, and may, whether you were conscious of this or not, can you describe what it has been like for you to, resist some of these external narratives, like you got to do this and 40 is too late and whatever from becoming internal narratives for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, at my very core, I, I am a, I'm a path creator, not a path follower at my core. And, um, I, I, I didn't know that as much. And, And when I was 19, my college professor said, I said, why does it always have to be so hard for me? Cause at the time I was I, I was, I wanted to have at 19 in 1984, 85, I wanted to have cultural conversations with the other students, right? I don't know where I was like, I was already trying to change the planet. And as a result, they wrote Black B Go Home on my door. They poured, uh, they put cat pieces in front of my door at my dorm door. They poured a bucket of water over the balcony all over on my head. And this was a particularly hard day. Uh, when I was just, I had enough of it and I would never retaliate with any anger. I would try to talk us through it, you know, but you have to respect cultures. And I was just trying to do this whole revolution, Dr. Martin Luther King thing at my college and they weren't trying to have it. And I remember going to my professor and I said, why does it have to be so hard for me? The other African-American students are not having a hard time. They have friends, but for me that I, and he said, he just looked at me. He was so calm. He said, Lisa, He said, if you feel the bruises on your chin, on your nose and on your forehead, it's because you've been assigned to create a path where one doesn't exist. He said, so get used to the bruises. But if you don't want the bruises, just take another path that someone else has already paved and you won't have to take the hits. He said, but you probably won't do that based on who you are. I don't remember the professor's name but I'll never forget what the professor told me because that became my life. And I I begin to adopt that to go, hold on. I get to chart my own path. No one else can chart my path but me. So how is it that another individual can tell me when I'm too old to get married or when I'm too old to have a child? 
I am the author of my autobiography. I am the designer of my destiny. You are the only person that can write your life story. When you look at the pen of the story being written about your life, no one can ever hold the pen but you. When I figured that out, because at one point in time, Dr. Stephanie, I was frustrated about how my life was shaping up. In my 20s at 25, I didn't like the way it was looking. And I would look at this pen and go, who's writing this horrific story? And then I'd look at the wrist. <laughs> and then I'd look at the elbow. And then I said, oh my God. Ah, it's here. It's oh my God, that's my shoulder. I'm, I'm writing this piece of crap. I'm writing this horrific drama, this tragedy. And so when I realized that I wrote my tragedy and I wrote my triumph, I wrote my chaos and I write my courage. I write my choice and I write my creation. When I figured that out, and oh, by the way, it didn't happen overnight. I had to keep championing. I am the author of my autobiography. I am the designer of my destiny. No one can do you better than you. And if you don't do you, you won't be done. When I figured that out, I start worrying. I start letting everybody else's worries fall off of me. I, I cannot be a better wife than I'm about to be to my fiance because of my 54 years. The things that I choose to release now in comparison to what I would have held on to then, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have earned the right for his proposal. And so there's a reason when I look at the people talk, when I turned 50, four years ago, when I turned 50, I was like, you're 50 and you're not married. I said, but I'm 50 and fabulous. Hello. Right. Right. right? So, so for all the things you say I don't have, there are a gazillion things I do have that were important to me. And when my, when my marriage, when my relationship is ready for me and I'm ready for it, I don't want it to come a day early. I don't want it to come a day early. I used to say, Years before I was on Oprah, I should be on Oprah. I should be on Oprah. Then I went on Oprah and I said, thank God I wasn't on Oprah right. before. Oh, And so I don't believe that we should subscribe to other people's limitations of us. I don't believe we should subscribe to other people's um, caps that they put on us. Take the batteries out of the biological clock and then say, my clock has no batteries. It doesn't tick away. I'm not going older. I'm going better, wiser more powerful, more graceful, more patient. That's amazing. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> right. Yes, please. Yes, please. More please. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because as I've, as I've gotten to know you over the past, you know, call it 18 months, um, and this, and the stories that you've shared with my audience and, and with me personally, one of the things that I see about you is that, and you're, you're, you're alluding to it here is that fully loving yourself, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, the scary, the dark, the light, all those things seem like a very high priority for you. Um, and that maybe it's taken, you know, and, and, you know, it's taken this amount of time for you to really understand and really un be comfortable and love every single inch, the skin that you're in and how you move and how you think and the way that you are. So what are, and let's, let's maybe say a little bit about that. Yes, please. Yes. Yes. You, you, you said something so beautiful to everyone's chasing light and, and to recognize that, that light is Light is so powerful that darkness looks for light. So when you are light, and this took me a long time to get, when you are light, then understand that darkness is attracted to you because light attracts light and light attracts dark. Yes. 
So it took me years to understand that I attract the light in people and I attract the darkness of people and my darkness is sitting there. And, and I have to keep shining a light on my darkness so that I can minimize it into the nothingness that it always was. So it, took, it takes time to understand that and to become whole and complete in all my choices, to love me for all my choices, to not live in a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Things would be different if I didn't. I made decisions based on who I was and what I knew in that moment. So to find peace with my decisions, that took time. Because when you can find peace with your past choices and your past actions, then you find present and future peace in your life. Because otherwise, your future is filled with a bunch of conversations about what you didn't do. You can almost, you can almost guarantee that. And so you talk about time and, and, and maturity and wisdom. People say, oh my God, I want to be 25 again. I, I, I am happy at 54. I would never I, go back to 25. I wouldn't change. I was a fool at 25. <laughs> I don't mind these arms, not as strong as they were. I don't mind the thighs and the hamstrings and the glute needing a little more work. I don't mind that for the wisdom, the grace, and the ease I get to exchange that with. Mm-hmm. Walking in a room, Dr. Stephanie, and not wondering if I'm enough and if I fit in that room, but knowing that I'm designed, divinely appointed to be in that room. That level of assurance and confidence, I- I'm, I'm grateful for it. Okay, so I know that this is not gonna be like, here's the six steps to like loving all your darkness. Like we're not we're not gonna do that, but what were some of the uh, maybe tools or aha moments or breakthroughs that you had over the course of your life? And they can be moments, they can be several uh, sprinklings of moments. Like what were some things where you're like, okay, yeah, no, my, my darkness is actually an important part to be, to marry myself, to make sure that I am marrying that with my light. I love this question. So first, let me share with you um, the darkest time in my life (laughs) when um, I needed to find some light. Um, I was, um, it was 23 years ago. I know that because my son was three years old. Yeah, I, I measured it by his age. And I was, that was the only other time I was engaged. And my relationship had turned abusive and uh, emotionally abusive and physically abusive. And I ended up after the relationship being clinically depressed. And I remember the doctor saying, Miss Nichols, you are clinically depressed. And she handed me a pad and uh, 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 you know, pad. And I read it and it said, Prozac, Lisa Nichols. And I, I was already speaking as a motivational speaker for three years. And I didn't understand these these two words together, Prozac and Lisa Nichols, they didn't fit. And I remember asking her, can I try something else? I went home and I, I just sat and I said, you're sad. You're really, really, really sad. How did you get there? I was dark. I was in a dark place. I was having nightmares. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold my urine. I, just, I literally was having all this post-traumatic stress disorder from being in this abusive relationship with this six foot nine, 300 pound man. And, I was just like, I I was a a walking fear storm, hot mess. And I remember I said, oh, you've forgotten who you are. Hmm. And you've forgotten whose you are. So I started doing several things. I'll just tell, I'll share one with you because it was the most prevalent and I still do it today, 23 years later. 
I got in the mirror and I completed three sentences. And you've probably heard me talk about this because they're the ones who saved my life. The first sentence was, Lisa, I'm proud that you. I realized, Dr. Stephanie, that I was under-celebrated. But I was under-celebrated because I didn't know how to celebrate me. I'm masterful at celebrating you. I can cheerlead and champion you all day long. But championing myself, that muscle was in complete atrophy. So if I don't champion me, then when I hit a wall, when I hit a storm, oh, I'm really going to go down because there's no, there's no investment, there's no deposits inside the champion me. And so the first thing was, Lisa, I'm proud of you. The second thing was, and this was the hardest one, it knocked me on my belly. I was inaudible when I would say it. And it was, Lisa, I forgive you for. And I got to tell you, Dr. Stephanie, I didn't say it like I just said it. It would sound more like this. Lisa, I'll I, I, I forgive you for. Like I was doing the ugly cry. I call it the Viola Davis yeah. <laughs> Grammy Award winning cry. And and I would just cry, Lisa, I forgive you for. And I found seven different things to forgive myself for each day. Seven different things to be proud of myself for each day. And then the last sentence was, Lisa, I commit to you that. And every day, instead of making commitments to other people, I make commitments to myself first. Now, I got to tell you, I'm telling you this as a conversation. When I was in the mirror in the bathroom, it was crying. I was on the floor. But remember, I was fighting for my life. I was in my darkest days. And I found that if I could celebrate me, if I can find, and some days, Dr. Stephanie, it was Lisa, I'm proud that you got out of bed today. Mm-hmm. Lisa, I'm proud that you took a shower. Lisa, I'm proud that you're looking at yourself in the mirror and for the first time in months, you don't feel hatred for yourself. When I tell you it was a crawl, Lisa, I forgive you for being so lonely that you lowered your integrity bar. Lisa, I forgive you for seeing the signs and being more afraid of being alone than you were of being hit. Lisa, I forgive you for being worried about what other people think about so much so that you endangered you and your son. Lisa, I commit to you. Today, I'll press pause on some of the negative self-talk. Lisa, I commit to you that today, I'll work to think more positive about you than negative. Lisa, today, I'll call someone if I get stuck in my darkness. Every day, I found seven things to be proud of, seven things to forgive, and seven things to commit to myself for. And I did it every day for six months. Every day. I didn't miss a day. And I turned my crawl into a walk. And then I turned my walk into a run. And then I turned my run into a soar. And I never stopped soaring. And I never stopped doing that exercise. Now I do it maybe once a quarter. Once a quarter, every four times a year, I do it. And when I tell my students to do it, I say, do it for 28 days. You don't need to do it like me. I, I was trying to save my life. I didn't for six months. And so in those dark times, to answer your question, I wanted to give you that exercise because someone needs to hear that because someone's in wherever you are and you need, to, you need to level up. You need to turn your crawl into a walk or your walk into a run or your run into a sore. But then what I found that I needed to do each time I was in my dark place is I needed to go back to me and remind myself because I had forgotten who I was. Every time I went into my darkness, I became more consumed with my circumstance than my substance. 
You hear me? Mm-hmm. I became more, more consumed with my circumstance than my substance. Every time I begin to get so hot or so cold with the circumstances around me, that meant that I was walking in the room, becoming the thermometer. I'm literally adjusting my temperature based on what's happening around me. And I have to remind myself, you are not the thermometer. You are the thermostat. Set the temperature in the daggone room. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't check the temperature. Don't adjust to the temperature. Set the temperature. Be the temperature. When I found out that I had the power in my life, not in your life, I'm not trying to set your temperature, but I got the power in my life to set my temperature. Now, mind you, things like the pandemic, things like the social injustice climate, things like the political climate, things will influence my temperature, but you don't get to set it. If this were a mic. Yeah, you would just drop it. Yes. Yeah. And that that actually relates so well to what we were talking about a couple of days ago. And I wanted to just tie it in here with the idea of beauty, because we were we mentioned very quickly in my interview at Dreamer Festival that you had mentioned like people like when I was young, like I didn't have anyone that I looked to on screen or on television that looked like you had like that you said something like I had the big lips and I had the hair and I had the hips. And and I I resonated with that so much. And I said to you a couple of days ago, and I'll say it again, I don't know what it's like to be a black woman, but I do know what it's like. What's that? But you know your journey and it was similar. It's yes. And people like I was, I grew up when it was like the the waif model, like the, you know, the yeah. Kate Moss and the androgynous sort of female archetype. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I never, I was like, okay, so there's that. But where do I fit in? And I'm not, you know, there's, I mean, there's maybe something another time we can have this conversation. But I always ticked off the Caucasian box because that's the only, that was the one that was, that I felt was closest to. Who who I was, but it was like, well, is Middle Eastern Caucasian is right, right, right. kind of is Portuguese? Like, I guess I don't, I don't know. So, I loved that you said this because I and I, I said this too before we started recording that the first time I saw someone look like me was Jennifer Lopez. She was on um, In Living Color. She was one of the Fly Girls, and I was like, oh my god. She has olive skin and she's a big butt and she she looks just like I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted, I, I, I bring this up because I love what you were just saying around like, I set the temperature, I get to decide who I am. And I, you know, and I love this idea for as a, as a construct for beauty as well, because beauty changes, right? It's like, it was Kate Moss, it was Marilyn Monroe or Marilyn and who Monroe. Defi- and who defines what you defined as beauty? Like, right. like, like the loudest voice doesn't always mean it's the right voice. Right. It doesn't mean it's the only voice like, man man, I wish someone would have told me that. Like, it took me so long to get comfortable in my mocha skin and my full lips with my round lips and my kinky hair. It took me so long to fall in love with Lisa. I was in South Africa speaking in Johannesburg and I had this full Afro. And I remember one of the, one of the 5,000 people in the audience stood up and she asked the question, goes, Sister Lisa, how is it that you wear your hair like that? And I said, oh my God, I'm in Africa. You guys all wear your hair like this. What do you mean? She goes, no, 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 sister. We wear an Afro. You are wearing a crown. And and I I, I stood there for a moment and it still brings chills up my neck to hear it. 
because I really thought about it. I really wanted to answer like, how, well, how am I wearing my hair? And, and, I, and then I, it came to me, I said, well, sister, while this hairstyle, natural, my natural hair is quote unquote, the easiest style to wear, it was the longest journey to get to. Right. It was the journey back to me. Mm. And, and, and when I say you set the temperature and when I say, you know, love you and I, and I say it with a lot of passion, I don't want you guys, I don't want you to mistake my passion for aggression or for anger. It isn't. It's conviction. It took a long time for me to be enough for me. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. And if you're in that journey, when you, when you take back the right of the world to validate you, and you slide from the passenger seat to the driver's seat of your own destiny in your own life, all of a sudden you realize that you get to take you anywhere. When I finally, I look in the mirror sometimes, Dr. Stephanie and I giggle because I go, how can you be the same woman that was in ninth grade? And you could find nothing attractive about yourself. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I look at me, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for my eyes. I'm grateful for my smile. I'm grateful for my lines. I'm grateful for my complexion. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for exactly how I am. No regrets. I don't want my hair straighter. I don't want my skin lighter. I don't want my lips thinner. I don't want my, 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 my butt flatter. I, I'm fine. I take it all exactly as it is because I am an unrepeatable miracle. And when I stepped into that, then all of a sudden it liberated me to liberate others to understand their miracle that they have. It's not until you accept the gift and the brilliance and the beauty that in you that you can ever be a doorway to someone else. People, I'm blown away at how many people follow me and love me. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not overwhelmed by it. I'm just always in awe of it. I'm I'm just, because I'm a humble servant. You said it perfectly. I am a servant leader, right? And and, and when I see people, white men and Asian men and Latin women and, 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 and Arab men and Arab women and all over the world, all over the world. And I go, what is that thing? They see themselves in me. And in my giving myself permission to be different and unique and brilliant and confused and and chaotic and creative and and perfect in my imperfection, all of a sudden that liberation is contagious. And so like my darkness allows me to own my light and my light allows me to have the capacity to hold my darkness. My uniqueness reminds me that no one can do me like I do me. And if I don't do me, I won't be done. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Reverend Beckwith said that. And boy, when he said that, I thought I was going to fall off the chair. If I don't do me, I won't be done. If you don't do you, you won't be done. Your dash lives in your choices, man. And your choices follow your mindset. You will never make a powerful choice if you're living in a weak mindset. And so I want to, I want my dash again, service is higher than my convenience. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Somebody's going to get that. That's all you came for is that your service has to be higher than you're wanting to live convenience. So you have to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of a service higher than you. 
higher than yourself. And so I was willing, Dr. Stephanie, to go to places in me, to heal wounds in me, to heal wounds in me, to forgive the what I thought perceivingly unforgivable, to love the perceivingly unlovable so that I can serve at ways I've never seen before. I get excited. I start babbling. I don't know. No, you're not babbling. No, so good. It's like, can I get an amen? Like, where's that? <laughs> I've got a Lisa Church today. We've got a Nick, Lisa Nichols Church today. I love it. And what what I think is so uh, interesting, and I, I resonate with everything that you're saying because it's been, like I was saying, for me to accept for, you know, how, yeah. me, how I look, it's an ongoing process. So someone who's listening, even like, even today, I have to check myself. Like if I'm spending too much time on social media, I'm like, maybe he, maybe I'm not, you know, smart yeah. enough. So, you know, you, you get that, like that voice yeah. that's coming. And what I've noticed, and I'd love to ask you this, I've noticed that my, like my inner critic, you know, the, tr- whatever you want to call it, the troll, whatever, she gets more sophisticated with time. Like <laughs> she gets smarter. Cause for me, the first thing, like I avoided this podcast I don't know, for years. I was like, man, no one needs another, no one needs another thing right. like this. Out in the, and then once, yeah, what am I, what am I going to do that hasn't already been done? Right. And then once the podcast started getting something like people are like, this is really great. It's changing my life. And I was like, well, you know what that is? That's the people that I'm able to get on the podcast. They're getting so much value from them. And then major one, my co-host who comes on and she does the, um, ask me anything episodes with me. She's like, you know, you should do your own like solo episodes in between the interviews. And I was like, oh, no one wants that. Like, there's no way anybody wants that. No, please run. No one will come to my party. Yeah, exactly. Like no one wants to hear what I have to say, right? So it's interesting to see how she kind of morphs over time. And I think one thing that's been, that you've been, you've mastered is the ability to understand that she's always going to be there. Like that darkness is always there. It's not that you can eradicate her. It's just that you're, that she has a seat at the table, right? That she, it's okay. And you're not trying to like ignore her. No, she, she, she will keep you humble. She will keep you studying. She will keep you raising your hand, asking for help. She will keep the the humility hat on. I always say she's going to be in the car. My little Lisa, my little Lisa is going to be in the car. Everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go, (laughs) there you are. So no matter how fast you run, no matter how much you change your business card, no matter how many other letters you add to it, no matter how many books you get under your belt, how many zeros in your bank account, everywhere you go, there you are. All of you. So serve all of you. Treat all of you. Comfort all of you. My little Lisa is in the car with me. So let me tell you how I talk to her. So uh, she's feisty um, and she evolves as I evolve. She comes up with, with bigger, you know, uh, reasons why and all this stuff. <clears throat> but here's what I tell her. You can always come along with me. And sometimes she gets frustrated and she gets and, and we'll talk about some things um, a little later, I'm sure, about how she wants to be managed. Sometimes she goes back to L.A. She's the L.A. ghetto girl. Um, sometimes she's timid and she feels vulnerable because she's in her twenties and she's lost. Like I know all the different phases she's in her thirties and in her thirties, she was spiritually evolved, but she was physically invisible. Right. And so she doesn't want to be seen again in my thirties. I was over 215 pounds. And so all of a sudden I'm in my fifties and I'm a hundred pounds lighter and I have this physical shape and I got hips and waist and butt. And all of a sudden, sometimes my 30 year old, my, in my thirties, Lisa, she's like, no, you should cover everything and not be seen. Mm -hmm. And so all those versions come with me and I embrace little Lisa 
and I tell little Lisa, and I'm I'm a little I'm a little wild, you guys. So I have conversations with my little Lisa, and I I, I literally sit and I allow her to meet me now, and I allow a conversation to take place, and I go, little Lisa, what are you afraid of? What do you need? What do you want? And I allow her to say it unedited, Doctor Stephanie. So I'm not going to try to filter little Lisa's conversations in big Lisa, 54-year-old Lisa's language, because then she's not fully expressed. So little Lisa, sometimes she's spicy, she's raw, she's raunchy, her mouth is a little potty mouth sometimes, she gets a little mad, like she's not like this evolved goddess of all thought coming from the secret. That's not her at times. She's my 21-year-old. She's my 21-year-old trying to get out of South Central LA, right? Mm-hmm. And so I talk to her and I say, I understand why you're nervous. I understand why you're angry. Whatever is going on, I understand why you think people, uh, this is the big thing. I understand why you think you can't trust people. Every time I've been betrayed, every time I've been betrayed, every mm-hmm. time I've been cheated, every time I've been lied to, every time I've been stolen from, which I've had all that happen to me in the last seven, eight years, little Lisa comes out because she's my protector. And little Lisa says, don't play with anybody. You just do your own thing. I told you you can't trust women. I told you you can't trust men. You don't need business partners. And so I have to talk to little Lisa so I can keep playing with people. Lisa, I know you're frustrated. I know you're hurt. And I know that you want to protect me. So come along on the journey with me. Get in the car. But you have to stay in the back seat. I'm the most qualified driver. And that's all I always say, stay in the car with me, but you have to stay in the back seat. You can't even be in the passenger seat because every now and then you grab my steering wheel and you make me. Right. And we go off the road. Yeah. We no. go off the road just for yeah. a minute. And yeah. that's when you're in your relationship, like you're in a love relationship and everything is going smooth. And then little Lisa shows up and she, out of the blue, my fiance and I are looking at TV and out of the blue, she'll go, would you cheat on me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, my fiance goes, does this have anything to do with the movie? Like what happened? (laughs) What what just happened with the movie? What just happened? So thank God little Lisa doesn't show up anymore in our relationship. But, but, but I have to check her and go, you can come along. You can, I have the thought, but let big Lisa talk to little Lisa before little Lisa jumps out there and tries to crash and burn our destination. And so I'm always mindful that I'm managing I'm always managing this shade. It's nothing wrong with that, 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 that I'm always like, and and I don't project it into the world. I I just am mindful of it because I don't want to ignore her. So what happens is because I'm willing to look at the shade, the shadow, the question, I can make it dissipate into the nothingness, the lies that it is. When you try to avoid it, outrun it, outwalk it, outtalk it, outearn it, outsex it, whatever you're trying to out it with, all of a sudden it just sits in the cut. It's not addressed. Yeah. So I like to walk into my shadow. Hold on, let me just shine some light on this one. Hold on, what is this? You mm-hmm. know, so that I can let it dissipate into the story that I'm telling myself and not the truth that actually is available to me. That's so good. And I think I, I resonate with that as well. Cause when I, when I hear mine's baby Steffi. So I talk to baby Steffi, talk to little Lisa. She wants, my baby Steffi wants to feel safe and she wants to feel protected and she will do the same thing. She'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to send a little aggravating text to Gio right now. Like, you know, like you got to catch yourself before those texts. It's like, what, why did you, why did you do it like this? Why did you leave your socks? Like, you know, like there's like those little mm, things that you will just like turn the, you know. Right, right. You don't do direct fights anymore because you're too smart for that. 
<laughs> no, oh no, no, no. We we actually don't. But th- there's times when I know it's yeah. I'm either too tired or yeah. like baby Steffi's yeah. out, and she's like, yeah. no, I'm just gonna maybe send like a little aggravating text yeah. and see yeah. what comes yeah. back, you know. And you know, you know how I get out of it now, uh, and I'm 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 so I just I pat myself on the back. I get out of it a little bit quicker now. Not but I do. I go instead of saying what you don't do for me, I go here's what I'm needing right now. Mm, that's a good reframe. Right. Because I, because I'm real clear on, I, I, I tell people, I tell my girlfriends, I'm smart enough now to have every fight that I have with my fiance with my mouth closed. <laughs> like, oh, that's good. Oh, well, I'm fighting, but it's all in my head. And then right. I resolve the fight and then like little, we're good. And then I ask for what I need because under every, under every disappointment is an unmet need. And I begin to search for what my need is. And it was so funny. Just the other day, I, I was, we went out to dinner and I was looking pretty hot. I mean, I just, I, of course I, you were. I, got, I, I, I bought a dress that's just, You're like the Beyonce. Like I woke up like this, like this. Is I, I mean, I was, it was one of those days. Like I, I, I bought a dress. I promise you, if I showed it to you, you'd be like, okay. And we'll, <laughs> I bought a dress that was made for the islands and we're in the Bahamas and, mm-hmm. and I probably wouldn't even wear it in California. Uh, and it's, it, it was one of those turtleneck long sleeves, but it was fitted and it was all the colors, right? Mm-hmm. It was good. It was good. And everything was hitting right. It was good. It was good. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's, he's super shy. He's super shy. So he doesn't compliment me a lot. Um, and, but what I know about him, cause we've talked about this many times is he has all these conversations in his head about all, all, all the beauty he finds in me and how much he wants to make love to me and how much he wants to kiss me. He just never says anything. He, right. he, he, right. just, he just looks like this. So, so all <laughs> night long- coming out of his eyes. <laughs> all night long, I want the words though. Yeah. And as the night gets further, I'm like, really? Really? Mm-hmm. Really? But I'm being very polite because I'm, I'm a grown woman. So I know how to not show you that I'm really frustrated. Yeah. And so I stood on it for like four days and, and I, and I'm just kind of like, mm, mm, but I'm, he can't see it yet. It's just really in me. And finally, just two days ago, I said, I said, did you find me pretty the other night? He goes, no, I found you were drop dead gorgeous. You were beautiful. And I said, thank you. I felt like you felt that. I said, and I, instead of saying, I would like for you to say it, why didn't you say it? Mm-hmm. What I change the words was, is I need to hear it because he wants to make me happy. He doesn't want to be demanded. And so I said, I need to hear that you find me beautiful. I need to hear when, when you see me and, and, and you think I'm pretty, it just makes me feel good. Yes. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, I thought, I thought it so much. So anyway, I'm just learning how to ask for what I need to diffuse all of the defensiveness too. Right. And he wants to give it to you. Like he wants, he wants to, give to give it to you, me. right? You just got to say, this is how you do it. Like this, I just need you to be like, you know what? I love the dress, like the colors, your skin, the globe, the night, you know? Yeah. I need to hear all of it. And, and then he said, he said, I may need your help to teach me how and when I, I just don't want to impose on you. And I said, okay, we'll figure that out. Next. Mm-hmm. I Next. love that. 
That's yeah. so great. And this is the thing with the inner critic, like you were saying, she's always like little Lisa and you were having a conversation at dinner. You're like, I can't believe he's not saying it. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. You know but the, the thing about the thing about that is that she's here for the long run. And I am so like, I'm so grateful for her because she has kept me safe during you know, very scary moments in like when my, you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, like the physical abuse that I had growing up with my, you know, father and all of this stuff. So she has kept me safe. And the same thing, it's like, you don't have to trust people. You're going to do the whole thing yourself. You're going to go through chiropractic school. And you're not going to work on any group projects with anyone because the only person who can do it good is you. You know, I've, I've had all of those things too, but you have to thank her because she saved you in those moments. Yeah, maybe does. She's your, she's the one that keeps you humble. She's the yeah. one that's like, okay, are you really going to go and like show yourself and give yourself out to the world and be vulnerable like this? Like you could fall on your face. Like I'm just letting you know, like, and, you and, she, and she also built your muscle to trust in you. Yes. Like, yes. cause she's the one who says, I got you. I, yes. It's me and you. It's yes. me and you. Like, yeah. don't go to anybody else. Like she, she, you need, I needed her. I, I needed her. I need her to this day. Yeah. She reminds me that I need community now. Cause Sometimes it's a, it's a scary place to be in my head all by myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I expose her. I call it exposing the lies. Sometimes I just need to, and I write them down and I write at the top, exposing my lies. And then I write down every lie that I'm telling myself right then. And even if I don't know the truth at the time, Dr. Stephanie, the fact that my mind translated this as a lie, I just want acknowledged, oh, that's a lie. And, mm-hmm. and, and I allow little Lisa to go, see, see, see. And I, and I, and, and then I allow mature Lisa, evolve Lisa growing. I'm still growing, growing Lisa to go. Now, how do we want to handle this? How do we want to take a look at this? Um, I think one of the most beautiful things that we can do as teachers in the work is stay learners of the work, you know, and For me, I tell people, I do transformational trainings. I do retreats. I do conferences. I do all of those things because I need to keep attending them. (laughs) Yes. Well, we're called to the work that we need the most, right? We're uh, we're so called to the work. I mean, this is the... I, this is the, I, I often say like, I didn't find chiropractic. It found me. Like I needed to, right. I, I needed to go and become a chiropractor to, to resolve something in myself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm the wounded healer. Yeah. I transformed the lives of others because I needed the greatest transformation I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And when I transformed, then I found out that it worked. And once I found out that it worked, I was sold out and I wanted everybody I know to experience their own transformation. Not that yeah. I would be the person to give it to them, but yeah. just experience a transformation. This stuff is amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, I went from broke and broken um, to literally not living my dreams. People tell me, oh, you're living your dreams. No, 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 no. I lived my dreams five years ago. This stuff right here is beyond my dreams. Yeah. Like I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't even have a dream like this. <laughs> You know, like, how do you admit that? Like for a while, I was afraid to admit, no, no, I'm not living my dreams. Those were like five years ago. I've already done those things. (laughs) I don't even know what else to dream for. Like, okay, what next? You know, so yeah. So amen. We we are, we are uh, having the conversation that we need to listen to, that we need to. And and it's for me, it was like getting into my body. Like that was the big thing. Like chiropractic is all about physical work. I, I would walk around just in my head, just in my masculine analytical log, you know, the algorithms going, I'm like, okay, this is like the path. And I figured it all out. And I know what you're going to say before you say, you know, so the chiropractic for me was like, just 
sink into your body a little bit, you know, and, and I only really, truly, even after becoming a chiropractor uh, and after many years of practice was only really able to do that when I had pushed my physical limits beyond their finite capacity and like hormones were decimated, you know, menstruation was a gunk, all these different things right. where I had to surrender and say, okay, I can't push anymore. I can't force this. And I wanted to bridge this with a top, just talking about the marriage and you do this so uh, artfully is the marriage between the masculine and the feminine. Cause I think so many women that are listening and, and men, um, mm. we live in our masculine, right? We live in the do, we have to get this external. We have to get the check box all the checkbox to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. And we forget about the surrender. We forget about taking care. And you've mentioned this before about like how to take care, how to learn how to surrender, to take care of yourself, how to sink, you know, beneath the throat. I always say like, you have to get underneath the throat to get into your body, you know? Yeah. So can you, is that something that you see a lot in your, in your work where you see People, men or women, just like looking for external validation, whether it's peers or family. Absolutely. Or... Absolutely. Well, when you are pursuer of something, you know, pursuer is synonymous with hunter, right? And yes. so when you're hunting, you're in your masculine energy, go conquer, conquest, whether that's a goal, whether that's an intention, whether that's a monetary level, whether that, whatever it is, whatever, whether that's an accreditation, whether that's a degree, whether that's status, all of those is you're pursuing something. You have an outcome and a result. And so you're in your left brain, you're in your result, you're in your action, you're in your deliverables, you're in your masculine energy. And so many times we think we have to forfeit our feminine. Or as a matter of fact, we think that our feminine negates our masculine. Yes. Our feminine negates or invalidates our intellect. Our feminine negates our productivity. Our feminine negates, you know, our success. We we just think that they can't coexist and they can't co-live. Well, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact, and it took me years to understand this because I got to tell you, I was on the left brain. I was checkbox, checkbox. If you weren't a checkbox, I did not see you. Right. Or I bulldoze over you to get to the next one. (laughs) If you weren't, you know what? And that's so funny. You should say that. Someone said when I was 26, I've been, I've been this way a long time. (laughs) When I was 26 years old, I'll never forget this woman who was sort of a mentor. Not really. I didn't, I didn't care for how she did business, but she had a lot of insight. So I would just listen to her. And she said, Lisa, you're 26 and you're one of the most productive young women I've ever seen. She said, you always, always get to the finish line. She said, inevitably, it's not a question. That's why everyone wants you on their team. She said, but when you get to the finish line, I want you to turn around and I want you to see how many of your own team members, as opposed to the other team members, are laying dead on the field. Right. I was like, hey. <laughs> And at the time, I didn't want to hear her. I was 26. I don't even want to hear what you're saying. But at least I put it in my back pocket to chew on it later. I'm like, I think there was some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Then another time she said to me, I was, a, <laughs> I was a handful of Dr. Stephanie. Another time she said to me, she said, Lisa, she said, people follow you. You're a pie piper. And I wasn't even a motivational speaker at the time. She goes, people want to follow you. She said, but what you have to make sure you understand is that you don't have to lead every parade. She said, you can sit on the sideline, enjoy a box of popcorn and watch the parade go by when you plan the route. Mm. 
<laughs> I was like, ah, like I, what, what I language I'm, is she talking? What do you mean? Like, I, didn't sit. <laughs> I mean, I'm 25. I'm 26. Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. But thank God I held on to it until I turned 40 something. Then I got it. And so very early on, Dr. Stephanie, I was that person <laughs> mm-hmm. that I was like, get her done by any means necessary. <laughs> Only the strong will survive. Everyone else, yeah. get out of here, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I would kill off people without even knowing I was killing them off, all for the greater good, right? Yeah. The, of the project. And so there was no feminine energy in it. And, and what I realized is that when I, when I beckoned in my feminine, when I beckoned in my enroller, when I beckoned in my gather, when I beckoned in that we can get it all done with grace and ease, when I beckon in that I'm as powerful in my whisper as I am in my roar, when I invited in the ability to hold my team members, to hold my friends, to hold my, to hold my competition at my bosom, to leave people with their dignity intact while getting the goal, oh, oh, oh my God, jackpot. Yeah. Jackpot. Hot. When you can make somebody feel good about winning and feel good while they're winning and want to always help you win because you made them feel good about themselves. That's like the golden light bathing you in like the golden divine and masculine light, just bathing your skin. Only the feminine can invite that into the equation when you're hunting. Hello, we're still hunting. Mm. We're still hunting. Oh, when I figured that out and I allowed my feminine to be out, but before you can allow your feminine to come out so other people can see, you have to trust your feminine as a part of the equation. Yes. She's not interrupting the equation. She's not holding the pro- holding progress back. She's not weakening the equation. She's not distracting from the equation. I happen to be brilliant and I also get to be sexy. Now, I didn't always think that. I didn't always think that. I, I, I happen to be brilliant and I get to giggle. I happen to be brilliant and I get to say, I love you and look you right in your eyes and say, I'm grateful for who you are. I get to give you the goal and also give you acknowledgement. I get to, I get to remind us what our monetary and what our fiscal goals are. And I get to pray with us. I get to, there's a holistic experience. And when you give someone the gift of a partial experience, then you get there. But when you give someone the gift of a holistic experience, you get there and you have more gladiators standing when you arrive. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. I I don't know where that woman is. I don't know if she's still alive as she is. Thank you so much for who you are. She's not rest in peace. Thank you so much for what you gave me. I didn't get it then. I didn't understand. I thought that it was one or the other. I didn't realize the power of them both existing. It's almost like the power of being, uh, of recognizing someone is dependent on you. It's the, the power of recognizing that you're independent. And it's the power of recognizing interdependence, right? So there's that graduation from dependent to independent to interdependent. Um, it's recognizing that. To me, interdependence is masculine and feminine, playing together, recognizing. Um, when I was practicing my feminine energy, I did this crazy thing, Dr. Stephanie. I would get on the plane, because you know I live on planes. I would get on the plane and I wouldn't lift up my computer bag because I know I can lift it up. It's my computer bag. I wouldn't lift it up. I would find a gentleman and I'd say, excuse me, could you please help me put that up there? 
That's such a great exercise. Oh my goodness. And because I, I want to just grab it because I can, it's my bag. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I remember my sales rep traveling with me and a woman shorter than me, smaller than me. And she would watch me do it. And, and, and I, I'm stopping in first class and she's right behind me. And, and I said, put you. And I go, thank you so much. And then they always say, when the plane lands, don't worry. I got, I got it for you, ma'am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I look at her and I wink at her. I'm like, you should talk that. And so she got to where she started doing it. She goes, she goes, what's happening to me when I do it? I feel like this energy. I said, that's your feminine being invited out. Yeah. It's not about weak. Of course you can lift it, but there's a gentleman. Let him, let him stand in his masculine so your feminine can dance. That's so that's such a good exercise. That was, that was my first exercise to, uh, to invite my feminine out. I didn't know how to invite her out. The next time I'm allowed on a plane, I'm doing that. It's I awesome. love that. Oh. Yeah. And guess what? Five hours later, they will jump up to grab it because it made their masculine feel good. Right. Right. And, and, it, and, it, and there's no like birds and bees and chemistry. It's not about that. They, they had a chance to stand in their masculine in the presence of feminine. So the king got to meet the queen and they want that experience. I remember once I landed in New York from California and a, a guy in seat two, seat three, put my bag up. But when we, the plane landed, seat two jumped up and grabbed it. <laughs> oh my God, the look that seat three gave him. So when I got to the luggage, when I got to the luggage to get my luggage, I saw seat three. And I thought, well, I at least owe him to be able to pull my luggage off the back. That's right. Seat three, and he was so happy. He was like, thank you. He was like, I was wondering why that guy did that. (laughs) I love that that so much. I love that so much. And and talking about kind of, and this this is what I think the journey is for so many women, because we are taught produce, 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 masculine, masculine. And then we forget, we forget how to cultivate that sensuality, that creativity, that softness, you know, that ability to, yes. We smother it. We smother. You just said sensuality. Yes. We smother our sensuality. We make her bad. We smother our sexuality. We, we smother all the things that ooze divine, that ooze energy, that ooze, that we, we smother it. We think that that it means weak. When I unleashed her, oh my God. I, I just, I, one, I realized that I was going to get everywhere I needed to get and I didn't have to rush. Right. Or force, so or force a way to do it. Yeah. I had more grace and ease to get there. Dr. Stephanie, I had, when I, I've made millions, I have been on national TV, I traveled the world, and I still felt like I was rushing somewhere. And I would never have been happy had I not leaned back into my feminine energy to realize that I, it wasn't about where I was arriving. It was about the journey that I was on. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful I got that before I turned 60, before I spent another 20 years chasing something. Like there was no more success I felt like I could touch because none of it was satisfying me. Like the first million or the 10th million, it didn't satisfy me because it, it's, not the, it's not what I measure success as, right? It's just, it's, just a, it's just an indicator of exchange, right? And so here I was running to get these things. And because my feminine energy wasn't in the equation, there was no satisfaction. When I integrated my feminine energy, all of a sudden I start seeing all the moments that I've been looking for. Right. And all of a sudden I had more peace. I have more peace now. And this year I'm, I'm making millions less 
than I made last year because of COVID. I have far more peace now. I have far more joy now. Like I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm good. Like this is a, this is an amazing year. Well, one of the reasons why it's amazing year is because I've honed my feminine, my divine. Mm-hmm. I've honed it. I let them play together. The hunter and the gatherer plays together, right? The outcome and the journey plays together. And so um, it just brings about a, a, an entirely different experience. Even in my engagement, if I was just about the result, I'd be going crazy over planning a wedding. And someone said to me the other day, when, do, when is your wedding? I said, I don't know. I'm just enjoying being a new fiance. Right. Like, I just want to so enjoy great. being a new fiance because now I've trained myself, sit in the journey, sit in the experience, uh, take every moment, you know? And so uh, I, 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 I invite you, if you can hear my voice, um, if you can feel my energy, I invite you, don't miss all the delicious nuances of the experience with your children, with your partner, with your family, because you're chasing an outcome. It, unfortunately, I, I missed 10 years. I missed 10 years thinking that I was going to arrive somewhere and make everyone proud of me. I was going to arrive somewhere and prove all the haters wrong. I was going to arrive somewhere and, and, and show all the vision busters and the dream snatchers and the dream drainers that my dream had life. I, I was 10 years of pursuit uh, to an arrival that felt flat. And then the next 10 years was into an existing and a being. It's like the Wizard of Oz when they say, when she says, you know, like, oh, you were there all along. You could go home at any time, you know, just yeah. have to click your yeah. heels. That's exactly yeah. what that reminds me of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The longest, like in South Africa, when I said the longest journey was the journey back to me. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about your movie because this was, this was a big, I didn't realize you were doing this and you're like, oh, and I just, just so you know, I've done a movie. And uh, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, I mean, we spoke about it briefly a couple of days ago. Tell the Bettys what this movie is about. I want more color, more context. And um, I'd like to parse this with a conversation around, uh, well, we'll get into it, but around you know, we've been talking about a woman, like owning our femininity. And I think part of owning all of us is owning all of our emotions. And like 2020 has been, it's just been, it's been a year. Um, It's been very difficult for many people financially, emotionally, uh, racial, you know, there's been so much there. So talk to me about the movie and then let's move into, um, we can move into some of the nuances around emotion. Um, So I didn't, I, I didn't know I would ever do a movie. Um, when George Floyd was murdered and, um, it wasn't the first, he wasn't the second, he wasn't the 10th, he wasn't the 100th. He was the one that happened at such a time. And it was so clear that it could no longer be ignored. And, um, and yet I touched a level of rage in me. Um, that I know, I know that rage. Um, I call her Shantae. That's my middle name. And um, I've always tried to keep Shantae and that rage under wraps so that I could be useful. I could be functional. I could be, I could be um, a contributor. I could be, I can be, that I can be a value to the world. I didn't know how I could navigate in that rage. When George Floyd happened, um, my hands shook. My hands shook of hurt, 
of rage, of, of, of anger, of despair. It was so many emotions. And I, I, I must be completely transparent with you, Dr. Stephanie. The fear my hand shook with was because at the beginning of the George Floyd um, and the social injustice fallout, when everything was just falling out, my 25-year-old African-American beautiful son was driving 20 hours from California to Seattle with his new bride. And so I have a African-American male on the road while we're addressing all of this. And so a part of me couldn't think straight as a mother. Like I couldn't for three days, I didn't sleep for three days. I, just, I would wake up at, at different times of the night and I just, I just call him, or where are you? Are you at a rest stop? Are, are you at a hotel? Where are you? How many miles to go? And I, he knew I wasn't resting until he made it. And he was driving with one of his best friends <clears throat> who's a white guy. And I felt bad. Hold on. <coughs> That's all the emotion. Yeah. <coughs> I'll keep that in my hand. Keep the cleaner, yeah. He was he was traveling with one of his friends who happens to be a, a white young man. And my heart hurt that they had to navigate when his white friend would drive. Mm -hmm. And when he would drive. So I'm here and I have all this emotion. And I know I need to speak up and I need to say something because I'm a leader and people are looking at me to lead, not just African-Americans, but my white friends and my international friends and my Indian friends and my, like all of my friends, all of my friends are literally reaching out to me. Vision was reaching out to me and, and Jim was reaching out to me and Jack Campbell was reaching out to me. Everyone's reaching out to me saying, help. We trust you. Yeah. Well, what, what do you say? Yeah. And, um, I, I needed to be silent initially. I got to be honest with you because I would not allow my anger and my despair to supersede the calling on my life. And that took a lot. I began to go to poetry because poetry is where I'm fully expressed. And uh, I began to write. And I begin to write and I begin to write what I want, what I believe, what I need was true. And then I said, I don't want to have a conversation to white people without a white person in it, because that's where the growth is, is that if we can be in a conversation together versus talking at each other, that's not helping us. And so I begin to look for which one of my courageous white friends are willing to have a courageous conversation mm -hmm. that might not be all roses it might be prickly but we both know we can get to the other side together like we trust each other and so i called in a friend of mine sean a fellow <clears throat> transformational agent a teacher he's profound and um and then together um i said i don't think i want to be the person in the back and forth with you because i want to hold the space for growth 
So then we pull, we needed to pull in another person. So I pulled in an African-American man, right? Because the African-American man is the person that's under attack, right? Not to negate women of color, of all colors, but this is, we know that that's what's where the target is. So then I look, I, I got this African-American man and this white man, and we crafted a piece of art that's riveting and messy and, and sticky and beautiful and heart-wrenching and soul-stirring. And it starts with this, this tension and divisiveness. And it's almost like the way that I wanted to occur is I wanted them to start like this, because that's what's happening. And I wanted slowly while they hear each other, they can find a common ground. And at the, at the end of the movie is just the beginning of a joint conversation because I wanted this piece to launch culturally courageous conversations worldwide that I'm willing to lead, Sean's willing to lead, we're willing to participate in. And so it's a 16 minute film, fully shot in Hollywood with actors and directors and producers and lights and cameras and steam. And it's the first time you see Lisa Nichols, the spoken word artist. It's the first time you see the part of me that most people see, which is the transformational teacher. But you, you see for the first time, Sister Soldier. Mm -hmm. And Sister Soldier allows her rage to come out and to, um, and to touch to touch the audience while you see her sit back into her, um, her mother goddess. So you'll see, you see the, you see the movement, you see the, uh, you see the fury. I'm just going to, can I, I, I totally violate and, and, and play something for you. Of course you can. Now it's going to look crazy. Um, but it's, so number one, this is, this is a picture of all of us on set. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is a picture of us on set. So you can see the tension. There's some tension there. Yeah. Yeah. You can see, yeah. um, you can see the energy and <clears throat> this is me. This is me. <clears throat> and it took a minute to get into role. It's behind the scenes, so. Yes. I'm tired from my great-grandmother's journey. That I'm angry. I'm angry from my granddaddy's pain. This anger, this anger isn't new. I've hid it from you for years. I'll smile when you pass me. To accommodate, to accommodate what you can handle. But at night, I cried their tears. And under the pain, and under the anger is the pain of rejection waiting to be healed. And under the pain is the fear for our children waiting to be sealed. And under the fear 
So, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever allowed, and in, in, in other pieces, you'll see me talking about how let's grow together, but it's the first time I've allowed both of those. That's all of me. Mm. No one sees the African-American woman and mother cry, hurt for Brianna, for, for George, for, for all the unnamed. Um, no one ever sees that part of me because I'm always talking about global connection. And this was the first time that I could talk about global connection and show my own hurt. At 16 minutes, it's called Let's Grow. <clears throat> and we're going to premiere it on November 22nd. And uh, what I love about the premiere is you'll be able to register. We'll make sure all of your community has the link to register. And what makes it special about the premiere is that only at the premiere will you be able to, after you view it, actually sit in on a conversation between me and both the characters, Sean and David, and the director and the producer on what was it like to create it, to make it, why did we do it? We're gonna take questions from the audience and really facilitate the first of many courageous cultural conversations. And so I don't know where it's gonna go. Um, I, I know the bigger you play, the bigger your breakdowns. So I expect some people to be very angry about what I produce, to have the gall to say what I felt, to have the gall to say we should come together, to have the gall to put a black man and a white man across the table speaking the truth. Some people are gonna get triggered on what Sean, the white guy said to David. They're gonna be upset and they're gonna get stuck in it. Some are gonna get angry with what David said to Sean and they're gonna get stuck in it. And then many will hear it to the end and hear that we're right at a starting point. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to take the hit if required um, I, I'm willing to stand for that. I, 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 I'm, I'm nervous and in a very excited way. Um, it's, it's for me, one of the biggest things I've ever done. I, I funded the movie out of my personal pocket, not my business pocket. So that this is clearly a Lisa Nichols journey. You know, um, this is not the CEO of motivating the masses. This is the woman. This is Jelani's mama. The mother, yeah. yeah. Jelani's mama. Yeah. So um, it's a, it, it, it is a piece of work that you don't want to miss, even if it's, and, 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 and here's the key thing. The first line says, to my white sisters and brothers committed to the truth, consider this a public service announcement, curated, cultivated, and created just for you. So the audience for this is not Black America. The audience of this actually is our white allies who are saying, I want to get in the conversation, but I don't know how. Yeah. And I got so many of those calls from my white friends, not my Black friends. My white friends are like, Lisa, what, 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 how do I get in the conversation? I don't want to, I don't want to add more hurt. I don't want to be, I don't want to be considered a, 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 you know, a, a horrible person. How do I get in the conversation? And I really thought hard about that. Like, how do I help them get in the conversation? And so this entire film is to our allies who want to get in the conversation, but don't know how. So this is that nudge as well as the information and it's done in a theatrical way. It's done in the way of a, a like a movie. Like we literally are now feeding calls from different 
places to produce it. We're like, what are you talking about? And I didn't think it would be like that. I literally, when I produced it, when I got down, I wrote it. I, I wrote my script. I wrote my content. I wrote what I wanted to say. I listened to what the guys, I listened to their fight first. So I let them just rip and fight. And then when they did their fight, then I would come in with, how do we find a meeting? And then I let them fight again. How do we find a meeting? When I first did that, I had no idea what we were going to do with it. I just knew I had to get it out. What I love about you, I love that you're holding space for people afterwards as well, because you, you're, this is a highly emotional, yeah. very raw, what it sounds like a very raw conversation. And then it's like, okay, so now we all have our wounds. We've scratched the scab off. We're all yeah. bleeding, but let's all bleed together. Let's all have a conversation around this so that we can. Let's all shower. Let's all take our individual showers and wash off and then let's come back again. So we're going to, we're going to launch the movie on the 22nd and uh, we're going to have a conversation right after. And then about three or four days later, we're going to have another conversation and then we'll do another premiere in two weeks after that. And then we'll have another conversation and then we'll actually allow people to sign up for these periodic conversations just so they can learn how to have them. And then we're going to invite people who want to learn how to facilitate them because we run with a bunch of leaders. I don't run with people who just want to have conversations. I run with people who want to lead conversations. And so I want to make sure that I'm providing them with some structure and some safety and some bumper rails to kind of use as a guiding post to lead conversations in their communities, as well as in multicultural communities, as well as stepping into a community that that looks nothing like them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I was telling my, a lot of my friends in all white communities were talking about this in all white communities. And I said, well, number one, you need to have the courage to blend your community a bit, you know, and they, and their first response is we don't know how I said, okay, great. Let me help you. Let me help you. But before we do, let me show you how to have that conversation so that you it, that you can maintain people because they know that you see them. And so it's a long journey. It's a long journey. And uh, I'm prepared for next year to literally, and I don't have this on my calendar right now. You know, I don't fit, you know, officially, this isn't officially on my calendar, but I'm very clear that I'm willing to host these conversations and facilitate these trainings um, into next year until enough people feel equipped where I don't, you know, I, cause I knew I was one of the few people being called on. And I said, there's not enough of us and everyone being called on cannot be African-American. They cannot, mm-hmm. they cannot, because this problem will not be resolved through African-Americans. This problem will be resolved through our white allies. It has to be a us against injustice, not us against each other. It's not black against white. It's us, black and white, against injustice. And so understanding that and really making sure we get what that looks like. And so the hard part that people are having is that the ownership of what's happened up until now, that's so, it's such a freaking huge pill to swallow, Dr. Stephanie, you know? So if George Floyd is almost impalatable, if you see that, then when we open the double doors and give you all the history, it, it, you choke on shame, you choke on hurt, you choke on, so we as African-Americans have to learn how to feed it in digestible bite-sized spaces so that you can consume it. And you have to agree to keep consuming it until we both know enough to run together. Like, it's just like prep work. Like, what's our prep work so we run side by side? And because it came out in tragedy, there was no guidelines to do this. And so 
Um, and I'm making it up with what feels right to me. Someone else will have another strategy, but I've been facilitating transformation a long time across cultural lines. And, um, and I'm comfortable in this part of the journey. And um, now that I've pushed past my own rage, pushed past my own anger, now that I've been able to harness her, I acknowledge her. So number one, I had to acknowledge my rage and let her out. Yeah. That she is not to be contained. She is not to be quieted. She is not to be shushed and she cannot be locked in the closet. She'll always be there beating on the door until we let her out. So I let her out. I let her out in my artistic expression. And so to every woman listening to my voice, I recommend that you give yourself full permission to allow every part of you to live, whether that's your intellectual being, your spiritual being, your sensual being, and your rage. Allow it to live. Understand what she needs so that she you, you have bumper rails around her and she doesn't have you do something that you regret later, but let her out. I knew my rage would come out in my poetry. I knew it. I didn't know if I'd ever share with anybody. I didn't know it. I gave myself permission to never share with anyone. I also got on the phone. I got on Skype with my white friends that knew I loved them and that would allow me to be mad as hell. And I cried and I sobbed and I snotty nose cried and I I, I, I Grammy award winning cry, Viola Davis cry. I did all of it. And 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 at the at one on the other side of it, I could be more effective. Right. Mm. Hmm. I can pledge to you right now that I am going to attend the movie. I'm going to attend those conversations. I'm going to share this with my audience far and wide um, because I think it's an important conversation that we should be having. And it's it's interesting because you mentioned just for a moment at the, you know early in our conversation that you were talking about these social injustices in college, and you were you know people were pouring water and go home, and and here we are again. Like here you are again, and you're like you know what I'm I'm okay with being inconvenienced again because this is you know it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it, it, I look back and go, oh my freaking God, oh my stars. Like I, I remember, I remember walking into my, um, I remember sitting in my film genres class. You, you'll be blown away by this. And my instructor was teaching the 50 students in the class, two African-Americans, everyone else was white. We were in Oregon. He was teaching a lesson that said, once a white woman was raped by a black man, she was no longer considered pure white. She was now tainted with, which I can respect that. I raised my hand and said, well, then does that mean when a black woman's raped by a white man, she's no longer pure black, she's tainted with? And he says, no, it's not the same. And I kept saying, I kept raising my hand. And he kept saying, Lisa, we need to move on. I said, but wait, that doesn't make sense. And he kept moving on. I said, but sir, that doesn't make sense. I said, can I just say one thing? He said, yeah, I said, but when you say it like that, you're implying that there's something in my blood that's impure. And, and, and it just doesn't feel, and I'm 18, mind you, I'm 18. And I said, that just doesn't feel good. I said, and my concern, sir, is that you're teaching all of these students this lesson right now and that they're going to believe it. And so after class, the co-professor asked me to come to her office. And I said, oh Lord, I'm gonna get kicked out. Cause they nicknamed me Sister Soldier. That was my, they called me Sister Soldier. Cause I was always trying to just, I was always. And she said to me, she said, you're a leader and, and you gotta watch out because an injustice cannot, will not be settled with you. It will not, it's just injustice of any type against women, against children, <laughs> against, she goes, it, it, literally it will not. And so fast forward, I was in Burger King uh, several months later and a man um, 
threw his food at me. I was 18, he threw his food at me and he said, he called me the N-word. He's like, you in, you nigger, you. And he said, if it wasn't for that college, you guys wouldn't be here. And that night I, I just broke. That night I broke. Uh, I had already had the cat feces on my door, the water over my head. It, it was December 28th. I mean, December 18th, 1985. And I broke. Um, <clears throat> I left Burger King that night and my roommate was white. And I told my roommate, you need to stay with someone else for the next two days because I'm having a hard time right now liking white people because everything bad that keeps happening to me here at this college is happening by white people because I'm black. I came here to mend. I came here to connect. I could have stayed in Los Angeles and you guys just aren't very nice to me. And the next day I had the wisdom enough to go to this professor's class, uh, her office. And I walked into her room and I said this, I said, I came here believing Martin Luther King, but I'm starting to believe Malcolm X. I traveled 1,552 miles to bridge the gap that our ancestors couldn't do, but no one seems to want to do it but me. And I just started crying. And she said, what happened? I said, this man threw his food on me last night and he called me niggers and he called and he said bad things about me. And this professor, this beautiful pilgrim looking professor, just so homely looking and, and just conservative, she started crying and she started snatching books off the desk, off the off of the shelf. And she started slamming books in front of me. She said, I said, I came here believing I was somebody, but now I'm having a hard time to believe that I'm somebody. I don't want to be crushed. I don't want my spirit crushed. Please show me that I'm as good as everyone else here. I believe it. And she started snatching books off the shelf. And she said, this is who you are. You're Ida B. Wells. This is who you are. You're Shirley Chisholm. This is who you are. You're Maya Angelou. This is who you are. You're Angela Davis. This, and she just pulled off all of these prolific, amazing Black women who had achieved great things in life. And she said, you were born a leader. And so you're always going to find injustice, like I told you several months ago. She said, don't be dismayed by it. Let it confirm who you are and what you were born to do. I was 18, 18, 19. I was 18 or 19. I've never seen that woman again. I've never seen the counselor again. Fast forward to the work I do today. Mm -hmm. Tell me they're not divine appointments placed on your life. I have held on. That little pilgrim lady, looking lady from Oregon, that I, I, I never knew her name really. She was just the other professor in the room. I never really knew her name. I was too scared to get to know her because she looked conservative. She looked really, really white. She looked like she didn't have anything in common with me. But this woman championed me. She gave me a stack of six books. She said, read them and know who you are. Now, this is a girl who was dyslexic, functionally dyslexic, and didn't read fast. I devoured those books because mm -hmm. I needed to know that I was okay, Dr. Stephanie. I needed to know what was this in me? Why, why was it that I had to pick up the mantle? Why could I not just be quiet? Why wouldn't I leave that school? I wouldn't leave the school. I said, no, you don't get to make me leave this school because you don't like me. We get to figure out how to get along. You don't get to do that. No, and I'm not going to fight you. I remember they used to try to get me to fight. I said, I'm not going to fight you because kicking your butt is too easy. Right. That's too easy. Right. I'm from LA. It's too easy. I'm going to show you that you must coexist with me. I don't know what made me. My parents didn't want me to stay. No one wanted me to stay. Everyone was afraid for me. 
Fast forward to now. That experience in 84, 85 still drives me to this day to help heal people. And so you're right. You're right. Like, like, like your story is unfolding. Your story is unfolding. Unfortunately, we're still dealing with that, but that's okay. It's okay. We make progress. Look at, look at who you, look at little brown girl and little brown girl. Look at us touching hundreds of thousands of people. We've come. You cannot say we haven't made progress. We, we have made progress. We have, we have made progress. And you can't even say we haven't made enough. You can't even say that because now we're measuring against something. Right. Like, like you got to be honest. Like as much as I want to say that, I, I have to say we've made the progress we've made in the time we've made and we must make more. And our job is in our lifetime to make the progress we're supposed to make and to be willing to do it at our own inconvenience. That's what the movie is about. Yes. Fuck yes. Sorry. I, I, oh my gosh. Fuck. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 like, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because every, I'm just like, yes, everything you said, yes, yes, I will support it. I'm going to be there. I want to be there for the conversations as well. I'm going to need you there for the conversation. I want to want you in the conversation. I will be there, and I commit to doing that with you. Thank you. I need. We need you. Last thing I wanted to bring up before we tie this up is. You, I mean, this is one way to interact with you. There is also, uh, I was talking to Johnny and he was saying that you are also working. You Are you opening up uh, coaching in, in a couple, at the end of the month? Is that what this is? Is this? Yeah, it's a, it's a unique platform that um, I haven't, um, I haven't opened up before and that we are more now more than ever, your voice needs to be heard. Yes. Now more than ever, you need to use your voice, whether it's your written voice, whether it's in podcasts, whether it's on stage, whether it's on video, whether it's in books, whatever it is, your opinion needs to be heard. Your your voice needs to be heard. And so my gift is communicating impactful messages. That's been my gift. Um, There's been many things I've had to learn how to do, Dr. Stephanie. But I'm grateful that one of the things that I I I I, I kind of was embedded in was the the ability to deliver a powerful, succinct message. And so I'm launching for the first time in 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 in, in this way, teaching this style uh, program called Powerhouse Speakers, and it's designed for people who want to use their voice to do good in the world and to make change and to have impact. So if you just want to use your voice to make a lot of money, this is not the place for you. It's not the place for you because it's going to require too much of you, the way I teach. So I have a formulaic, 17 technique formulaic way of really having, and I didn't know I had it. I've been doing it for years and didn't know I was doing it. It was unconscious competence. And when I turn my unconscious competence into my conscious competence, I realize then I can give it to someone else. And so powerhouse speakers is about that. Now, um, that's the first level for some people um, to come in and do that three-day training. It's a three-day comprehensive training. For others, it's going to be the on-ramp because they want to become a certified transformational trainer with me. But you have to go to that event first because that's your onboarding. If you don't know that basic level, then you won't be able to do anything else. And so um, it's that platform that says, show me how to use my voice in the biggest, boldest, best way, not only as a speaker, not only as a change agent, as on podcasts or in writing, but how to do it as a brand manager, 
How do I manage the brand so that the brand has the biggest and best impact? How do I do that? And so I don't want to keep any secrets. I want to take people behind the black curtain. You, you know me. I, I love being transparent. And there are things to be transparent about, about this industry and this business and this experience that I believe people should know. And I want to share. I want to give it away. I want to I want to um, make it possible. So when when you join us at Powerhouse Speakers, you get this boatload of content more than you can consume in three days. We'll give to you. Um, and um, and then it becomes the on ramp for those who want to do a deeper dive into learning more deepened stuff. You know, I'll make sure that those are in the show notes. And I think it, it piggybacks well on what we were just talking about with the movie. Like this is your artist, your ability to bring important conversations to the forefront. In order to do that, it would be great if we could all just put, you know, a power, you know, a PowerPoint presentation high behind the slides, but that's not how you get, that's not how you get changed. It's not yeah. going to get the job done. Yeah. In this climate, in this, in this climate that we're in right now, I want, I don't even want to just hear you. I don't even want to just see you. I need to hear you, see you, and feel you. Yes. To want to follow you. Yes. Like that is more than ever. So how do you engage all of that? How do you wrap information and motivation and inspiration to produce transformation? How do you do that? That's not, that don't happen accidentally. You don't stumble on that. You can't Google download that and you don't get it in the microwave. That is a cultivated set of skills, a mindset, and intentionality. And, and what I realize is that I've been, I've been doing it for by the grace of God. I've been doing it for years. And only in the past seven years have I begun to teach people in my small tribe how to do it. And now I want to, and, and quite honestly, with the pandemic, it made, normally I would just do a small group, my little my, my little regular group. I just keep teaching the live trainings. And now I go, oh, hold on. We can make it easy and, and we'll have breakout rooms so you can practice what I'm teaching. I'll teach you things and then you go practice it in the breakout room. So it's not just a, a dialogue where you're just, I'm not just a monologue where you're just looking at me. It's an, a divine exchange where you're actually practicing and you're hearing how your own voice sounds before we're even done. So I'm just grateful for it. I'm, I'm grateful and I'm here to be, I don't want... <clears throat> I don't want the ability to impact, not that I'm the only one impacting people the way I'm, I impact people, but I don't, want, I don't want it to leave when I sit down. I'm going to be here for a while, but I don't want the ability to touch souls to end because I wanted to be the only one to know how to do these things. Right. I, 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 you know what I mean? That's selfish and, and my dash wouldn't have done enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in this season of my life, I'm 54, I'm in a different season now. I want, all I want to do is equip gladiators and change makers and unicorns. And I want to equip you with the superpower that I've been able to use. I want to give it to you, teach it to you so that you can add it to your superpowers. That's, that's what makes me excited now. If, if you promise to do good with it. Oh. And this is the thing, like speaking is like, you know, and anytime I interact with you in the courses that you've done, like it's a personal development course as well, right? Oh. Like you're learning how to speak, but it's also getting out of your own way. So even if it's, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend this, but even if it's just to learn how to get out of your own way, even if there's nothing that's going to come from it, it would be worth the time yeah. and the investment to work with you. I've had so many of my students say, 
So what I didn't know was how much you were going to release me of this while mm-hmm. I learned how to do those techniques. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it's a dual path. It's a dual path because it's transformation, because I'm always at transformation. Even when I'm teaching you the motivational part, even when I'm teaching you the inspirational part, I'm always at transformation. So you'll need to have transformations in each one of those areas. And so that's that, that's when you walk out and you emerge bigger, better, brighter, even before you've crafted your message. <laughs> You're bigger, better, brighter. Yeah. Lisa, this has just been a joy. I, I, every time I get to spend time with you, it's time well invested. I think that this is probably my favorite conversation to date. I think like the dinners we've had, like this has been such a wonderful, robust, colorful, nuanced, rich conversation. Thank you so much for giving so much of yourself to, to me and to, and to the Bettys that are listening. Well, I just want to, and I said to you a few days ago, I, I didn't get to love on you as long as I wanted to, you and Giovanni, but <laughs> a little more now. Um, I love what you come with. I, I believe that we reflect who we are uh, and uh, iron sharpens iron, my grandmother used to say, and um, sparkles create sparkles. So you help to bring out the best in me. I'd like to say I wake up with the best in me, but then you help to bring the best out of me. And so thank you for the dynamic dance. Um, About six years ago, I prayed for sisterhood. I said, God, I've had so many amazing experiences and now I just want to find my sisters. I want to find my sisters. I want, I'm, I'm, I'm crowded and then I'm lonely. Mm -hmm. And you have to watch out when you're so wildly admired or successful that you can mistake all that for true intimacy. And from the moment we met and we had a love fest, I, I think I probably kept you away from anyone else. I think you probably <laughs> had to break away from me to really be polite to your guests because I could have kept you to myself all night. And, <laughs> and you're in my phone with Wonder Woman. Oh, I was like, I know this is gonna be awkward, but um, just so you know, we're best friends now and sisters. I don't know if your team knows this, but I'm just gonna. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, no, I don't have a problem with that. Call me. Back. I have no problem with that. So I just love how you show up. I, I love that. Um, I love that God loves me so much that I was able to be friends with you and to discover you because um, I, I personally know that parts of my personal soul, my sister soul is being fed every time I meet another sister that's a likened unicorn gladiator who understands. Um, I, I take that personal, I hold it close to me. And then when we get to do work together like this, I go, oh my God, this is so, you know, double fun, right? Yes. And so I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank your beautiful partner um, for who you both choose to be in the world and how you choose to show up in the space you hold um, for other unicorns who, um, who, at times have felt awkward, but together we, we feel at home. Yes. And what that means to create home for unicorns. Yes. That's not, it's not taken lightly. I don't know. I just decided to tear up on that one, but. <laughs> no, I, I, to- I completely receive that and reflect that back to you. It's been, um, I, my whole life I've had, you know, I was like, well, I guess I'm just not one of those people that can have girlfriends. Like I just guess, you know, just something about me that people get a- annoyed with or something that I do or say or be that yeah, is just not it. enough or whatever. And so I, I, re- I reflect that back or too, I, that's the other thing. Yeah. Too much, too bossy, too loud too. So I, I, or it, too it, right. or too, or too, right. or too much, or too right. bright. 
are too much love, right? Too much white space, too much open space where there isn't isn't any chaos. Yes, there isn't any competition, and in that open space, people aren't used to that, and and so they have to throw something in the space because it's uncomfortable. Right. I'm not saying that that's all it, but that also could be it. That's when I. I got to look at the whole picture because I used to always do all my make wrong stuff. Maybe I'll maybe I'm too falsely too loud. And then someone said, or maybe your your pure love makes people uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. Pure love is so rare that the only those who can handle it can handle it. And I'm not saying perfect love. I am saying I got Just the big heart on the sleeve. And that's how I always I did so agape love. And that's why when we sat next to each other, we just kept agape loving each other. Like, oh yes. love. Ooh. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, we're on a blue planet and here's a red person, another red person, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I wanted to, again, thank you so much for this. I am so excited for this movie, for what you, it's so courageous, it's so brave. I bow down to you, my goddess sister, and um, I'm looking forward to the next time I get to hold you. Hold my hand. I can't wait to hold your hand. Hold my hand. I will jump on you. I am going to jump on you and hug you. I'm happy to leave. Just hold my hand. Like, do you know how you can tell when something's bigger than you because you haven't been nervous in a long time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I feel. I'm like, oh, I'm nervous. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, I love yeah. it. I, I appreciate you, sis. Thank you so much. Love you. I love you too. Take care. Take care. Um, is it the Bettys? The Bettys. My Bettys. Oh, yeah. Bettys. Um, <laughs> thank you guys so much. My grandmother says that you can get back clothes if you lose them or a house if you lose it or if you sell it or a car but the one thing that you will never get back is your time so for those of you who have given us the gift and me the gift of your time i don't take it for granted thank you so much i appreciate you there you have it betty my conversation with my sister from another mister miss lisa nichols so i just want to reiterate what i said to you earlier if you are looking to connect with other bettys such as yourself um you can come to our facebook group it is better community b-e-t-t-e-r exclamation point community and i would love to see you there we are going to fought we are recording our ama number eight and god it's been a minute since we've recorded our last ama both major and i are dying um, and I have just recently cons- uh, recently completed a move to our new home. And oh my gosh, we are going to talk about the move. We are going to talk about all the things. So would love, love, love to see you there. And thank you so much for listening this far into the podcast. You are one of my special Bettys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed. 
and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.